0: I want us to focus just on one verse, um, and it's verse three of Daniel chapter twelve, and my sermon notes are up there. As um, uh, uh, we see, I'll i develop them as we go along. Okay. Uh, and uh, but here's the verse wonderful, lovely verse Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars for ever and ever. What a glorious place. John Henry Jarrett, great preacher of the same sort of time uh, as C. H. Spurgeon, thousands used to go and hear him. He was born one of seven children, born in a Christian home in Yorkshire. I hasten to add, he back. Listen to these words of his: "The joy of catching a soul is unspeakable. When we've got one soul, we become possessed by the passion for souls. Yet one." and you will want a crowd. Freddie Wood was the founder of the National Young Life Campaign, I mean Young Life as we call it nowadays. He said, to bring souls to Christ shall be our master passion. R.A. Torrey, who took over really from the evangelist D.L. Moody, he said, I would rather win souls than be the greatest king or emperor on earth. I would rather win souls than be the greatest general that ever commanded an army. My one ambition in life is to win as many as possible. Oh, it is the only thing worth doing to save souls and men and women. We can all do it. And really that's this, um, the, the teaching of this one verse in Daniel chapter 12. And actually throughout the whole of scripture, every so often it just seems as though there are little jewels. That dropped into scripture to jolt, jolt us into remembering the priority, the importance of bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 126, many of you know these lovely words. Those who sow in tears shall weep in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Or another example from the book of Ecclesiastes. Cast your bread upon the waters, For you will find it after many days. In the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, do not withhold your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be prosperous. I love those words. You do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be prosperous. And that's what's happening here in the book of Daniel. We've had these great sort of themes of standing alone. Daring to be a Daniel, we have these themes about what's going to happen, the climactic occasions in world history, and then dropped in is this wonderful little jewel. So let's look at verse three. First of all, it's setting. Notice in verse one it says at that time. I should stand there etc. The time of trouble. In chapters ten and eleven, which we weren't able to look at, there is prophecy about the great tribulation about the Antichrist, about Armageddon, about very, very dark days. And it's in that time that we get verse 3, this verse about winning people to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Lord, and of course eventually the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who comes as the fulfilment of all the, the, the prophecies that we've been looking at. So in the darkest days of trouble, the world will we'll still see people turning from their sin to trust the true and the living God. in very, very dark days, people will still be converted. If you go to the book of Revelation, chapter 7, you'll see exactly the same thing. Dark days, but nevertheless, people coming to life. Now, we're not living in the Great Tribulation. we're we're not really in the worst possible scenario. But nevertheless, I think from what we heard earlier and from what we've heard over the last few days, these are tough times for Christians who are wanting to love and trust and serve and witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen a very great change in our society. But of course we've seen a great change in the whole world. Fifteen years ago today, the world was stunned because the Twin Towers came down. (coughs) 9-11, unforgettable. It was to change world history. The world was never going to be the same again. And since then, of course, we've seen the, the rise of Islamic extremism and the impact that that's having on Europe and other parts of the world. But nevertheless, at the moment, we're not going through the Great Tribulation. There's pressure on us. As Peter said yesterday, this isn't persecution. But nevertheless, there is pressure on us to be silent. And as I mentioned yesterday, especially for those in public employment... The NHS, education, social services, civil service, etc. You're really instructed not to witness. I was taking a mission at a church in Oxford two Easter's ago. We had a very, very blessed week. I have to say it was a lovely week. We see people profess faith in Jesus Christ. And the way I like to do missions is I interview somebody from maybe 30 35 minutes, and then I speak to them every minutes. And I share the gospel. And, um, and then usually on Sunday, we'll have locals, instead of an invited guest coming from a distance to be interviewed, we'll have locals. And um, on this occasion, there were four locals, and uh, one of the pastors interviewed these four people, and then I was to speak. One of them is quite a well-known Christian doctor. Uh, if I told you her name, somebody would be like, alright, I've read what she's written. And she's a good writer, and she's a vivacious, lovely Christian doctor and there were questions about how she came to faith in Christ and then she was asked and what difference does it make being a Christian in your work as a GP this was her immediate response oh I I never say that I'm a Christian to my patients or to my colleagues I don't want to be struck off and wants to stop and say now just a moment what is life all about it's a wonderful thing to be a GP and to give medical and physical aid to people but it's a much, much more wonderful thing to prayerfully, carefully, wisely, winsomely speak about the Lord Jesus. And if that leads to being struck off, or even for us to be imprisoned, unemployed, or whatever, well then, so be it. We are under marching orders. There is something even more important than eating and living, and enjoying, and working, and contributing. And that is pointing people to the Lord Jesus. That's what we get here. Those who turn many to righteousness will be like the stars forever and ever. If it wasn't for one doctrine in the Bible, I think we could almost treat Christianity as a hobby. It's nice to be together on a Sunday and to sing hymns, pray, read the Bible, have fellowship, a bit of food, etc. Christians love to pray and eat, don't they? And maybe meet week and go on missions and do things like etc. But there is one doctrine that transforms our Christian belief and commitment from being a hobby <coughs> to something much more urgent. And that is the doctrine of hell. So every individual is given an eternal existence. One day the body will die, we know that. One day the body will go to the ground, and yes, we'll be forgotten. But the real you, the real me, the real individuals who we rub shoulders with day by day, our colleagues, our friends, our families, etc., they have an eternal existence. They will spend eternity either with the Lord or lost forever in hell. Look at those two. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting content. <coughs> Bishop Frank Rattich of South Africa famously has as his sort of motto, and he has it on his desk to remind him day by day. He has it in his prayer diary. People without Christ are going to hell. Now that is a very sober truth. It's almost in scripture as if it's such a sensitive truth, only the Lord Jesus Christ is permitted to speak about it. I know others do. But Jesus warned anybody else. He who knew most about eternity, he who loved individuals most, he is the one who spoke about heaven, yes, but he warned lovingly about hell. And therefore, Yes, we're under marching orders. Yes, we've received something of the goodness of God and the blessings of God, which have made such a difference to our life. But there is something more important. Every individual needs to know that there is eternity, that death is not the end. But when people say, Oh, he's gone, the important issue then is, And where has he gone to? Heaven or hell? Now, we have the most wonderful good news in the world. We have the gospel. I think, and I've spoken about this before some of you have heard me on this, but in Luke chapter 24, the Lord Jesus Christ spells out what are the crucial truths about the gospel. What is it we want to convey to others? And there are four things. First, he said, go and tell your neighbours, he said, Jerusalem, and the neighbours, and the nations, he said, about my sufferings, about my resurrection, about repentance, and about forgiveness of sins. Now I have views on all sorts of things. I was very interested in the whole question of should we remain or should we leave, or was I for Brexit or was I against it? And I'll be honest, in the end, I don't even. Well, no, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt very strongly on one side or the other. I Have very strong opinions about, well, let me say, abortion. It seems to me a terrible thing that the least safe place to be in the UK today is in a mother's womb. It seems a terrible thing to me that in British law, there are more laws to protect a bird's egg in a nest than there are an unborn baby in a womb. I feel very strongly. But I'm not called to be somebody who's going out into the world protesting, but rather somebody proclaiming the good news these truths that Jesus has suffered that he's born my sin the sin of the world in his own body on that cross 2,000 years ago he died that I might be forgiven and reconciled to God. But not only that, He's risen from the dead. He's alive. Nobody else has conquered the grave. The greatest news that has ever come to the world came from a, came from a graveyard. That the grave was empty. Jesus was risen. And God now commands all men, all women, all children, everywhere, to turn from their sins and believe, to repent. And then, wonderfully, God offers, because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus, forgiveness and new life and eternal life. These are the truths that we're to focus on. Jesus said, go and make this known to your neighbours and to the nations. And there is an eternal dimension to this. I- I- interestingly, again, as you go through the gospel, once in a while Jesus it, opens the leaf, just a little bit, so that we might have a glimpse of hell where their worm dies not. And the fire is not quenched. Or later on in the Book of Revelation, the smoke of their torment ascends for ever and ever. And surely whatever pressures there are, whatever persecutions may come upon us, we should go and seek to turn many to righteousness. We should go to speak to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. We will long to win souls. He that wins souls is wise, says the book of Proverbs. It will be that the wise person will take a long look. It's not just how they're doing now or how they'll do throughout their lives, but we're talking and thinking about eternity. Notice too as well, in verse 3 it says those who turn many to righteousness will be like the stars forever and ever. If you go to the book of James, chapter 5, verse 20, it talks about just turning one to righteousness, and that in itself is glorious. (laughs) So here it's many, but James just one. In fact, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over just one individual, one sinner, who repents. So wisdom that leads to soul rises above the circumstances of society and the pressures that are put on us by those around us even governments and media and employers so the setting secondly I want you to notice the soul winner turning many to righteousness how do we win people to Jesus Christ well through prayer to pray day by day for individuals maybe your parents maybe your brother or sister or cousins maybe your um, your friends at school or college or university maybe your neighbours pray too for opportunities I would love today to speak to somebody about Jesus, just a few days ago I'm trying to lose weight. I don't find it easy. And uh, I don't know. My pulse doesn't seem to help. anyway, <laughs> I'm trying to lose weight. I'm trying to just walk a little bit. And uh, it was the evening. And I had not really walked. And I haven't spoken to anybody about Jesus. So I thought, right, tomorrow we'll get And where I live is pretty hilly. I went downhill first so of all, a long, 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 long way downhill. And then I went up to sleep and I was near near the top and I was pretty tired. But anyway, I got so far. But I can't just enjoy a walk. I've always say, Roger, just ignore what I'm about to tell you. Just go and enjoy it, but I can't. If I see litter, I have to pick it up. I just cannot cope with litter. And if you drop litter, you really have to question your salvation. It's it's <laughs> a hard so job I'll pick it up and I thank it was and I put it in there beef and I moved on, etc. Anyway, I got to the top of the hill. But whilst I was climbing the hill, I uh, I just kind of oh, I haven't slept to anybody today. I can't see now I'm gonna get an opportunity. It was virtually dusk and God could just do with the con- anyway. Right. I got to the top of the hill and there was a lucasite bottle. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I picked it. It was empty, you know. I picked it up and put it in the beach, And I turned around to go down, go down the hill. And there was a couple there, probably about 20, 22 years of age, something like that, with a with a dog. Oh, great. Anyway, we will go down that night. And um, and uh, you, you, you sort of. I don't want to be. Judgmental, but sort of underclass people. I think you'd understand the way they yeah, were dressed, their behaviour, just, the, or, you know. But she just said to me, "Did you just pick up that bottle and put it in the bin?" And I said, "Yes, I did." I said, "I hate litter." "You're a good citizen," she said. "God will bless you for that." Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> God does bless me, but not because of that. And I went up, And very interestingly, just down there is a church, and um, I said, you know, you ought to go to that church sometime. I couldn't say, to be honest, you'd enjoy it. Some of you were working out with churches. I couldn't say you'd enjoy it, but I said, you'd be made very welcome there. I thought you wouldn't understand the word to say. but <laughs> <laughs> I said, you ought to go to that church, you'd enjoy it. I've always wanted to go to that church, she said. And I thought, what if anybody's ever invited her? Have they knocked on a door? Has she ever been invited? Would you just pray, Lord? I am praying for individuals, but I also want to pray for opportunities to speak. I want to pray for conversations. I want to be able to point people, move people, just a little bit nearer the Lord Jesus. How do we turn them into righteousness? Will we pray? Uh, secondly, we do it by example. Now, I know our message is not, look, I'm good, be like me. Our message is, I mess up, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness, I need a savior. So we do it by example. Um, And it goes a long way, you know, if there's honesty and integrity, and we don't have the dirty (coughs) jokes, we don't swear, we don't do some of the things that others do, but we're not the sort of folk who are always condemning, we're just seeking to live positively for the Lord. It goes a long way. A wealthy man who had a big business was dying. And um, somebody said, do you want me to call your church minister? Now I'm not against church ministers. Don't listen to I'm about to say. This is what happened. Do you want me to call your church minister? No, said his employer. "Will you call for John? You know, the porter at the door. I've watched him for 20 years. He is God's man you know what people are seeing in you or thinking about you, and what they say as a crowd to you may not be what they think and reflect on um, and when we do mess up, just say sec- I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have done that our message is not we've got it right it's that we've got a saviour and then, how we terminate into righteousness well through prayer, for example through proclamation here they are living through very disruptive times, as we are to some extent, and yet We can be encouraged that people have gone through these times before just as they have in Daniel's day. They've gone through tough times, they've lived and spoken for the Lord. Think of the Lord Jesus.
1: He came to seek and
0: to save those who are lost. He came for that reason. His sufferings, which were immense, prove the value of one individual soul. For 30 years, without a furlough, he was away from home, which was heaven. He was on earth. For 30 years. He lived with the poorest of the poor. He was despised and rejected. He was called a man of sorrows. He set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem, where he knew he would suffer and die for our sin. And he did it because he loved us. But all through that time, he was winning people. He was proclaiming, he was preaching, but he was a soul winner. He saw people as sheep without a shepherd, and he wept for them. He said, I have meat to eat, but you don't know anything about it. And his need was to point people, on this occasion the woman at the well in uh, to the Lord. He sought that woman and he spoke to her. He sought Zacchaeus and he went down with him and spoke with him. He, on the cross, turned, as it were, one, that dying thief, to the Lord Jesus. Isn't that an example that should encourage us in tough times to speak out? What about the Apostle Paul? My heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved, he said. But they didn't seem particularly interested. But he still wanted them, he still prayed for them. He still went to proclaim to them. Well, think of it in Acts chapter 20, when he'd been with the Ephesians and he's about to leave them. And he could say, for three years I've ceased not to warn every one of you, night and day, with tears. Think of it at the end of his life, probably, in Acts chapter 28, when he's in under house arrest in Rome. Morning to evening, he expounded evangelistically the scriptures, pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, I, I don't need to misunderstand this, but the history of the church, is certainly true today, churches honour scholars. Now, we need scholars, and I'm not against scholars, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Churches have always honoured scholars, but here, it is very clear that God is honoring the soul winner. The church often doesn't seem to bother about these folks, but actually God does. More than anything else, I I, I want to be like the Lord Jesus, but as far as usefulness, I long to win souls. And I honestly believe, again, I'm not trying to put on a humble act, I, I, I have failed pitifully in this. I may have spoken to thousands, but to actually win people. they are very, very few. Very few. And it deeply disturbed me. I read recently the biography of a church of the Nazarene man from about 70 years ago, Leonard Ravenhill, and story after story about him leading in, in scores to the Lord. I, I haven't done that. I would love to be much more of a soul winner. I really do believe that the most significant work we could do is to win people for Jesus Christ. And I'd rather do that than be Prime Minister or Prince King or anything. Richard Branson, the Rothschilds, never did as important a work as we can do in pointing people to Jesus Christ. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Jesus is teaching the value of the soul, and a soul is worth more than all the world. And it does take blood, sweat, tears, and toil. It does take separation and consecration and self-denying. And if you understand the, the sort of pictorial language, going outside the gate. It does take that. But this is our privilege as well as our responsibility. So the setting. The thirdly, let's look at the stars. Those who turn many to righteousness will shine forever and ever like stars. You know, stars, like redeemed people, have an intrinsic light. Stars are like little suns. They burn, they emit their their own light. And and once we're his, there is within us a light that will shine out. Stars can be in (coughs) clusters. There are still probably billions of miles about when we look up. There are clusters of them and we have names for these. But they can also work or shine independently. And, and in a very similar way, we've worked together the church, the UPM, or Young Life, but then there's the individual work, and God scatters us into all sorts of different settings so that we can simply live and speak for the Lord Jesus Christ. Stars are very enduring, and the work of pointing to people, people to Jesus Christ is, is enduring, it's eternal. And do you know, most stars are unnamed. I know they have letters and numbers, etc., but most of them, them are unnamed. And as you go through Scripture, it's amazing how many unnamed godly people there are. Gideon had 300 soldiers to defeat the Midianites. We don't know any of their names. Who are those three men who brought the water from the well of Bethlehem to David? We, we have no idea. Who are the 7,000 who refused to bow the knee to Baal? We don't know We've given names to the wise men who came from the east and worship Jesus, but we don't actually know their names. Who was the little lad who brought the loaves and fishes and gave them to Andrew, who brought them to Jesus, who broke them and fed the fat? We don't know. Who were the Samaritans and the woman at the well? We don't know. What was the name of the Ethiopian eunuch? We don't know. What was the name of the Philippian jailer? We don't know. And all through church history, and probably all of us here, we will be forgotten in a few years, but that doesn't matter we are people like those unnamed stars our names may be forgotten but we shall shine forever and ever now I want to do what has happened a few times in the talks this, uh, this weekend and I just quickly want to end with three conclusions first times are tough and they are at the moment times are tough but the work of God goes on I've just recently read the book of Daniel and I've read it in Richard James, which I love, but I also read it in the message. Listen to chapter 2, verse 44 in the message. But throughout the history of those kingdoms, the God of heaven will be building a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will his kingdom ever fall under the domination of another. God is building a kingdom in the darkest days people are still reconverted. How many converted here after the year 2000? So many, isn't that thrilling? God is still doing his work. So remember, yes, we're, we're called now to live in a different sort of era where we're not particularly respected or uh, acceptable in the way that, say, in Trevor or Jarrett's time, I was the youngest on the panel, did you know? And, um, <laughs> things have changed, but nevertheless, God's still building his church. His work goes on. Secondly, Solo winning is costly. But the Great Commission still stands. Those words, go you into all the world, they still stand. I talk to people when they, they talk about being in the ministry. I don't like the phrase the ministry is to be in us and then coming out from us, through us, <laughs> to others. There is no work nearer and dearer to the heart of God than winning people for Jesus Christ. If angels can rejoice over one sin over doesn't the Lord Himself rejoice? I beg us to be people who are seeking to win others for the Lord Jesus Christ. I recently read the biography of a man you may not have heard of, but W. A. Criswell, American preacher of a big, big Baptist church in Dallas, and went to be with the Lord, about 30 odd years ago. But I've, I've enjoyed reading some of his sermons. I've got a to read about him. And it's great. Love it was a great book. I loved it. It was very enjoyable. There was an incredibly wealthy woman in his church. It's amazing how many of these people have wealthy contact. We'll leave that. But anyway, an incredibly wealthy woman in his church. And she read in her newspaper about a man who was imprisoned for a certain felony and was sentenced to life imprisonment in Alcatraz. And the front page of the Dallas, whatever well, it is, Times, I will say, I don't know what it's called, but had uh, a picture of this woman crying. And the wealthy woman, was so moved by what she saw, she sought her out and went to visit her and spoke with her and talked to about the Lord and prayed with her and led her to Christ. And she told the pastor Criswell what had happened. A little later on she came back to the pastor and said, Pastor, I've, I've been meeting with this lady. We've been praying, reading the Bible together. She wonders, would you be willing to go to Alcatraz? If you don't know Alcatraz, it was an island offshore, which was a prison for many, many years, it was almost impossible to escape from. Would you be willing to go to Alcatraz and visit her son? And he said, yes, I will. And he made the way from <laughs> Central America to um, the shore, and then all arranged, got the boat out of the prison, taken into the cell, and he was given time with this man and he asked him about his spiritual state and he had the great privilege of winning this man to Christ he visited again and the man (coughs) said to him you know I'll never get out of here alive but if I did I would come to your church and ask you to baptise me he changed and he became respected in the prison he became the chief librarian for the other prisoners in the prison but one Sunday morning he walked down the aisle of First Baptist Church down He'd been used, And he went up to see the pastor who led into Christ and said, Will you baptise me? And he became a very, very committed member of the church there until eventually he died. Now the point of this I want to ask you, is there somebody you could go to And ask them about their spiritual state. Let me talk to those of you who are grandparents. I know you pray for your grandchildren and you desire that they should be saved. Could you, I don't know, just pray that you get the right moment when you could sit down with him or her and talk to him or her about Jesus? Not in a dictatorial, authoritarian way, but as a loving grandma or granddad. Or do we just let another generation slip away? Do you have a cousin, or an uncle or auntie, or a nephew or niece, that you could say, Do you know, can we meet sometime? There's something I'd like to chat about. Can I take you out a meal? Could we meet and very deliberately, winsomely, <coughs> seek to appoint them to the Lord Jesus? Is there a colleague that you could invite him or her, spouse, partner, for a meal with the view that you might talk about the Lord? I am begging us to be intentional to have a a definite sort of view that I'm out to see people converted, to turn people to righteousness. So when it is costly that the Great Commission stands. Okay, in some ways it's easy for me to talk to people I'll never see again. It's harder to talk to those that I regularly see. One last thing. The rewards that God gives us are undeserved. But do you know the Lord delights to give rewards? He he answers our prayers. Uh, Trevor talked about the Lord working with us. It's interesting, in scripture you get the Lord working with us, but you also get us working with the Lord. You get both. There's cooperation, God and us, working together to seek to reach and win the loss. He works with us. One day he'll welcome us home. And do you know... We will shine like stars. I can't imagine that, that really means that there will be the enduring everlasting brightness and peace and it's God's reward to those who seek to turn one, many to righteousness in the midst of tough pressurized, maybe coming persecuted times. But those who turn many to righteousness are not only wise, that they will shine like stars forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to suggest we pray, by the way, I'd like to pray two prayers. First prayer anybody here who's never truly trusted Jesus Christ, and you know you need to, I'm going to pray a prayer you pray. If you know you should get right with God, and pray this with me, not out loud, but in your heart and mind, echo and personalise these words and make them your own. And uh, if you pray with me like this, I'd love you just to come and maybe give me your name and address as long as you're over 18. And I will write to you tomorrow and send you one or two booklets just to help you start to go on and grow as a Christian around here. So please just come and give me an address, and by doing that you'll say, I prayed with you, Roger, and I'd like to send you on some helpful information. And then a prayer for those of us who are Christians, as an act of recommitment, Lord, I want to be used for your glory to turn many to righteousness. Let's it. First of all, anybody here who's never truly trusted Christ but knows they need to, Dear God, you know everything there is to know about me. So I want to say, I am sorry for my sin. And with your help, I want to turn from it. I do believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. Please forgive me. Come and live within me. Become my Lord and Saviour and help me to follow you for I pray in Jesus name Amen. Amen and Father many of us have to confess to you that we do feel pressurized intimidated in silence. forgive us may the Lord Jesus Christ mean so much to us this deep sense of gratitude that he loved us and gave himself for us he loved me and gave himself for me that nothing will be able to silence us. That lovingly, boldly, and faithfully to our dying day, we would make much of Him, pointing many to righteousness. And I'm turning them that way, or we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.